Yes, I know, I match the flowers. <clears throat> so last week was Easter Sunday, and we all pretty much know what Easter Sunday is about. It's a reminder of what Jesus did for us. And on Easter, so many of us have those spiritually high moments where we feel close to Jesus and we feel renewed. Um, so what's the week after Easter about? The scripture we just heard from is um, about how when we allow what Jesus did for us to sink in, it changes us from the inside out. Um, and that's what we're going to be talking about this week. And we've been working through a series about robes in the Bible. And this week we are wrapping up the series with the robe of righteousness. The robe of righteousness, um, which of course is the latest in church fashion. And I hear it's all the rage this season. And wouldn't it be fantastic if that was something that we could do? We could just go to like the Christian store and pick out the latest Christian quality uh, that we wanted. Like there was a flash sale on the Beatitudes. Um, and if you act now, we'll throw in the full armor of God. <laughs> but obviously that's not how this thing works. We, uh, we unfortunately and annoyingly have to work on ourselves to actually, um, uh, if we want those qualities, that will make us like a, a good Christian. And I've never really liked that phrase, a good Christian or uh, a better Christian, because, like, what does that really even mean? Like, does God have a list of rules in the Bible um, that's, like, weighing us, whether we're good or bad? And whenever I think of that kind of example, it always makes me of, like, reminds me of, like, saying God is more like Santa Claus. You know, like, he's keeping a list of our, our good things and bad things that we've done, and at the end of our life, he's going to weigh those things to figure out where we're ending up. And that's not what God is like. Um, because anyone can follow just a list of rules and have it not affect who they really are. Uh, you can follow rules simply just to not get punished. Um, and then if, that, if you're doing that, are, are the rules really changing you on the inside, or is it just kind of like behavior modification? There's millions and millions of people in the world that follow the Ten Commandments or do their best to follow the Ten Commandments simply for moral reasons, um, but they never let it really sink in deeper uh, than the surface level, and then is it really changing the person? So bringing it back to Easter and Good Friday, if, if really realizing what Jesus has done for us changes us on the inside, then what has Jesus done for us? The first week of the series of robes in the Bible, we talked about Adam and the robe of shame that he wore, and I like what Miss Anne said about before we get too judgy, we need to realize that we would have done the same thing that Adam did. Like, I like to think that I would have been like, oh, no way would I have done that. And we totally would have done the same exact thing that he did. And later on, we moved to Jesus and how he wore the robe of majesty. And that would have been enough for Jesus to wear that robe of majesty um, because that's really what Jesus earned, right? Um, but instead, he decided to take off that robe of majesty and put on the robe of shame that was meant for us. And that's what he was wearing on the cross, even though that robe belonged to us. I think a lot of people say to themselves that they believe that they're a good person. Whenever I ask someone if they think they're going to go to heaven and ask them why, um, they say because um, they believe that they're a good person. I found that's a really good icebreaker at parties when you're meeting someone new. <laughs> Do you think you're going to go to heaven? How come? <laughs> but <laughs> what they come up with, and I, I usually am asking students this um, in context, not just out of nowhere. Um, but their response is, well, I'm a good person, and I follow the, the, I do my best to keep the Ten Commandments, and I try to help people the, that are in need. And far too often, people will look at the Bible as simply a list of do's and don'ts, and when they do that, I believe they're missing the point. 
When it's a list of rules, we're bound to break those rules. When it just becomes lines that we're not supposed to cross, we're for sure going across them. And I think that there's something in each one of us where there are lines that, when we know there's lines that we're not supposed to cross, we focus way too much on the lines, and then we get way too close to them, and we eventually end up crossing them. And I, I believe that there's something in like so many of us that when we see that there's rules set up, we naturally want to bend them or, or break those rules, especially when you see signs like stay off the grass. Like I had no intention of going on that grass, but now there's a little sign that says stay off it. And I'm thinking, maybe I do want to go on that grass. <laughs> I don't actually do it, but I'm thinking it. And like I, I'm, I'm in my 30s and we went to the zoo this past week and I saw, the, I saw a sign that said, do not pet the sheep. The first thing I do, <laughs> and I pet the sheep. I didn't want to pet the sheep beforehand, but all of a sudden there was a sign that didn't. I was like, maybe the sheep feels way different than I've ever expected. <laughs> and those, of course, are silly, like our silly examples, but there are bigger ones like, like don't steal. And we start justifying, well, this, does this really count as stealing? And little lies don't really count, right? You can little lie because that's not a big deal. Um, and I believe that God doesn't want us to get caught up on those things like this. I picture it like this. If my parents only loved me when I obeyed all their rules, I wouldn't have been loved all that much growing up. <laughs> I wasn't like a bad kid, but kids are forgetful, so I'm not going to remove my shoes every single time I go into the house. Like, what if it's just real quick, you know? Like, can't do it every single time. But... If my parents only loved me when I obeyed all the rules, it means that my parents' love for me would have been conditional. And that's, and that if I'm, and if I'm sure to follow all the rules, that means they're gonna love me. If I follow some of them, they're gonna like me. If I don't really follow any, they'll just like tolerate me. Um, but my parents, luckily, they never loved me in any sort of conditional way, and thank God for it. And I can remember coming to my parents uh, with my tail between my legs and having to admit that I did something wrong and do you guys remember in 1998 when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were in the home run battle to, ba to break Roger Maris's record? Um, I thought those two guys were like the coolest guys in the world, and I wanted all of their baseball cards. So um, I figured what I would do is I would go to the flea market, and I would get as many baseball cards of these two guys that I could. The only problem is that as a 13-year-old, I didn't have any money. So me and my best friend, we decided how we were going to go out and earn money every single day and uh, go out and get these baseball cards. Um, but we figured that was way too hard, so instead we decided we were just gonna go to the flea market and steal them. Uh, don't judge. <laughs> You've all done something like that too. <laughs> so about a half hour later when the police were called on us, um, I realized maybe I don't like baseball cards that much anymore. And I thought when, because they had to call my parents and they had to come get us and I was afraid that once they knew what I did that I was going to be like shunned or like shamed um, and I was disciplined of course but that but they their love for me didn't change like they loved me through my error they loved me through my mistake and I was afraid that once they knew what I'd done like once I'd gotten caught um, that they would stop loving me or just love me not as much and I remember my dad telling me and my and my siblings one time they said that there's nothing that we could ever do that would make them love us less. And I remember how much that meant to me, and it still has stuck with me forever, because their love for me was not based on how good I was. And that was a really freeing feeling. Um, I knew that no matter how many times I messed up, that I could always run back into my parents' arms. It's similar to how when we really are in love with God, we have that heart change. 
It's no longer about how can I follow these rules so God loves me. It becomes because I love God, I no longer want to do these things. Knowing what Jesus has done for us changes us from the inside out. So when we look at this passage in Ephesians, that's what Paul is writing to the people of Ephesus. Um, Ephesus is, um, is one of the churches that he started, and Paul's goal with when he set up churches was to set them up to a place where they had leaders and people that could take over, and then he would do what Paul always does, and he would simply leave to go start a church somewhere else. Um, but in this, he, he must be keep getting word about how the people are kind of falling away. Um, so in this letter, Paul is writing to remind them that they no longer have to be the way that they once were. He's writing to them because he's been hearing um, how they've been falling back into their old habits. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul spends the first three chapters not criticizing or reprimanding them, but rather he uses those three chapters, uplifting them and reminding them just how much he loves them and how much Jesus loves them. Then in the next three chapters, he really like lays into them. Um, you know when you're writing an email on the first draft and it's like way too aggressive? And then you have to go back and you have to like lighten it up with pleasantries, like hope you're doing well, and then you go into why you're upset with them? <laughs> yeah. Never send that first draft. Just go back. Um, so their heart, the, the people of Ephesus, their hearts have been hardened because they've been wanting to do things their old way. Their hearts have become calloused, it says, giving themselves to sensuality and greed. In Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, it says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of heart, they have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So Paul's writing to tell them that they've fallen back into the way that they were before they knew Christ. But more that they no longer have to live those old lives anymore, that they could take off those robes of their old life and put on this new robe of righteousness, this new robe of salvation. Picture it like this. Imagine you were sentenced to prison for years and years, and you always had to wear that same ugly orange jumpsuit, um, or remember those old-timey black and white pinstriped ones? You guys have seen movies. Um, but they have to wear the same thing every single day. That outfit is a reminder to them that they are not free. When the day of your release finally came, do you think that you would need someone to remind you that the next day you don't have to wear that prison uniform anymore? Probably not. When you're free, you can't wait to take those prison clothes off. You don't need to keep the old life once you've been set free. It would be too much of a reminder of the time that you were a prisoner. Plus, people would say to you, don't you know that you're free? Why are you still acting your old ways? Why are you still acting like a prisoner? And what's even weirder is that sometimes that's what happens to prisoners once they get released. They look for ways to actually go back into prison because that's all they know. In my third favorite movie of all time, Shawshank Redemption, that actually happens exactly. The character is released, and once he is, all he can do is think about ways to break his parole, so they send him back into prison. He misses his old way of life because it's all he knows, and that's what makes sense to him. The old way makes sense to him, even though he's free. And every single time I watch the, that movie, and I do every single time it's on, I think, what's wrong with this guy? Like, he's free. He can go out and do whatever he wants, but he doesn't. He just thinks about his old ways. The point is that his heart had become so hardened that all he can think about is his old life. He never gets to experience that true freedom. 
And when you're stuck on following rules, you're trying to change the behavior without changing the heart. And that doesn't make sense. It's like dressing up someone to look beautiful, but underneath, the body is failing them and dying. It can't be about following rules to not upset your authority. It has to be more like falling in love because that's when real heart change takes place. When it's more about falling in love, that's when, the real, that's when it changes you on the inside out. I've only recently experienced falling in love for the first time in my life. And before meeting my now fiance, I wondered looking back if I in fact had ever been in love before. Um, but I knew that when I fell in love with Teresa, that I knew that I'd never been in love before because I had never experienced anything like that. And since that moment, my outlook completely changed. It wasn't just looking out for my best interests anymore. I now knew how much she loved me in return and I wanted to be better for her. I want to be the best version of me for her. And sure, I'm saying this so I can get some points from her, <laughs> but the point is still there. <laughs> Knowing somebody else's love for you changes you on the inside um, if you allow it to. And we, we have a covenant relationship with God. And just like in marriage, in marriage, it's no longer about you, which is something my fiance keeps telling me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Chuck said my points are lost. <laughs> so last week was Easter, and before that, we celebrated Good Friday um, when Jesus died. And this year, the reality of the cross has hit me more than ever before. If you've been around Sandwich at all recently, you've heard the name Fleming Rutledge. She explains in her book, The Crucifixion, all that dying on the cross really entails, how brutal it was and how it was actually meant to dehumanize the person and essentially just erase the person from history. She goes through the physical pain that, it caused, that crucifixion caused the person before they die in graphic detail. And since this past week, I've never been more grateful and appreciative for what Jesus did for me after hearing those words. I compared it to this. Imagine a year ago, that, or imagine that the only reason that you're alive today is because a year ago, somebody stepped in front of a bullet for you. Like, there was a bullet that was meant to kill you, but at the last moment, someone stepped between it and it killed them instead. How grateful would you be for them? How much would you appreciate that person? How often would you think to yourself, that should have been me? Because that's what Jesus did for you. And that's what the week after Easter is about. Reflecting on what Jesus did for us. And knowing what Jesus did for us, that should change you. And hopefully it's not one of those changes that it's just because of a spiritual high moment where you feel like you're changed and you promise that you're never gonna go back to your old ways, but then in a few weeks you just kind of get back into your old routine and you just kind of forget it. Hopefully it's not one of those. If you don't have a heart change after realizing what Jesus has done for you, I would argue that you don't fully understand what Jesus did for you on the cross that day. Because when Jesus was hanging there, he was thinking of you. And how do we know that? Because he was 100% God also. And it says that God knew who we were before we were born. If you're a Christ follower, it's changed you too. That's why you believe what you believe. So when Paul's writing to the people of Ephesus, that's what's going on here. The people, they had been changed, but now their hearts were hardened again. The hearts were darkened and Paul was getting pretty frustrated with them. It's funny when you read it, it's like you hear some, sarcastic, some, some sarcasm and he's a bit passive aggressive at one moment um, in verse 21. Before that in verse 20, he says, but this is not the way you learned Christ. He's basically saying, this is not how I raised you. 
Then it adds verse 21. He says, assuming you're even listening to me in the first place. It gets kind of all passive aggressive. But Paul's saying, listen, we've talked about this before. How many times do I have to tell you? Verse 22, to put on your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. It's corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. He's talking about the same thing that Fleming is saying. Jesus went through all of that so that we don't have to be the way that we were anymore. That we could stop wearing our old prison clothes and it's time to move on. And it's not like a regular robe or an outfit that God is giving us, obviously. It's called the robe of righteousness, the robe of salvation. It's like God wrapping his arms around you, um, like putting a robe on you and you're safe in his embrace. We all know that feeling of being hugged that makes you feel safe and embraced. Um, And even more, we know the difference of hugging someone where you feel like it's a real embrace and someone that just feels forced to hug you. They give you like the one arm and the other one's like hanging down. Like we know that we know the difference there. That's not a loving embrace. (laughs) Now you guys are going to be self-conscious when you hug me. (laughs) But that reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. Most uh, people know that story. But in short, this is the story where the son squanders all of his inheritance. um, And finally, he wants to come back to to the father, even just to be the father's servant, because he's so broken and ashamed of how he treated his father. But it says that while his son was still far, a far way off, his father saw him and ran to him. And what that means is that his father didn't just happen to see him on the horizon one day in passing. No, it means that the father was out looking for him every day, hoping to see his son, um, hoping that his son has come back. So finally the day comes where he sees his son on a, a far ways off. He runs to him. And one of the first things he does is he puts a robe around him. And he did that to show his son that he's home, that he's safe in the father's embrace. Listen, it doesn't matter how long you've been away. It doesn't matter how much wrong you've done or how hard your heart is. The father is waiting for you to run to him, to put his robe of salvation around you. Because this relationship between us and God is about being covered by the father. He's got us. He's got you. And don't be fooled into thinking that this is just about following a list of rules and do's and don'ts to get God to love us. Does he want us to follow some rules? Yes, there's the obvious one so we can be socially adjustable and not be jerks to each other. Um, But the rules aren't there to limit us. It's not about the rules. I just finished up another theological book this week. Um, It's fairly deep, but it's um, written so I can understand it well. It's called the Jesus Storytime Bible. <laughs> it's great. It's very good, and one of the one of the great things about my relationship entering to marriage, I get to enter with a whole family. My fiance has two boys, eight and nine. Um, so if any of you have younger children than that, I'm totally available for parenting advice. <laughs> and so I want to read. Uh, Luca and I were Luca Enzo and I were reading this this past week, and I want to read it to you. This is Paul writing. It's not about keeping rules, Paul told the people. You don't have to be good at being good for God to love you. You just have to believe what Jesus has done and follow him. Because it's not about trying, it's about trusting. It's not about rules, it's about grace. God's free gift that cost him everything. That's what happened to Paul. He met Jesus. It's about falling in love with Jesus. Being being changed by his love from the inside out. If you wait till you have the outside perfect before falling in love, it's never 
going to happen. If I waited to pursue Teresa until I had everything in my life figured out, I probably never would have um, pursued her at all. And I have a friend who he says that he doesn't want to date until, he, until everything about him is perfect in his mind. He won't even consider dating until he has the rest of his life figured out, like his finances and his fitness and his relationship with God. And I said, you got a long way to go. <laughs> so he, ne he never goes out to meet anyone. And I said, I told him that I, you, you're doing it wrong. Why don't you go out and pursue the woman properly and let the pursuit change you? If you see how much Jesus loves you and you fall in love with him, that's when, that's when you'll want to pursue him more and your heart is going to be changed from the inside out. Let Jesus' love change you. And that's what the week after Easter is about. Amen.